Hello everyone and I hope you're having a wonderful chance to relax during this Easter weekend. Now perhaps some of you are staying in Luxembourg and perhaps some of you took a flight somewhere and if so, perhaps some of you took a Lux airplane covered in graffiti. Well that art was created by Sumo and I'm delighted that he is here with me today. Welcome to RTL Today. Hi, thank you Lisa. Pleased to be here. It's really lovely to have you with us and I know a lot of our listeners will know of your artwork because of the airplanes. Some will know a bit more and some will know a bit less. RTL Original Podcast. Now, you were actually born in the UK, so when did your family move to Luxembourg and why? Well, we moved to Luxembourg soon after I was born, so I was probably one one year old. And my dad got a job in Luxembourg. Both my parents worked in the hotel business and uh, they decided to stop traveling just before they were working in London. So if my dad had a job in London, I would have... Had a very different life. <laughs> I would have had a different life if I been in London, but I grew up here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, where is your family from, your heritage? I can't place you. Ah, uh, well, my dad is part Chinese and part British, and the name Pearson, and uh, my mum is German. So quite the mix, even for London at that time. I'm sure your father has an interesting story as well, growing up in London. Well, no, he, was, he, he didn't grow up in London. My dad's side left China in the 50s to flee from, from communism, and then they moved to, to Europe. Wow. That's another story entirely. Yes, that's a different podcast. Yeah. So you grew up then in Luxembourg and after Lycée des Arts et Métiers, you moved back to London, in fact, to study at Ravensbourne College, which is very famous, Art Design and Communication College, and then on to London College of Printing and Distributive Trades. So why did you choose these colleges and why did you choose to return to London, in fact, to study? Well, my my grandmother still lived in the UK, where I was born, so on the south coast. I also had an aunt and cousins living in London, so we went there every every year to visit them. And um, when I had to choose to go to college, you know, London has always been my favourite uh, city, so I didn't want to go anywhere near Luxembourg, <laughs> anywhere where... Luxembourgish people went to study. I wanted to go as far away as possible. And I thought, well, London is nice. I did uh, graphic design in Amitié. So I was looking for a college to study graphic design. So I went to Ravensbourne College to do a foundation course, which is, uh, you know, before you start um, a BA or, or any other course. Yeah, they're quite strict about that in the UK. Yes, because I was trying to get into Central St. Martins in London, into the first year BA and they wouldn't let me. They always uh, make you do the foundation course. They make you do the foundation course. I went to Ravensbourne. Then I discovered that there was, because I was always interested in typography, which has to do with um, type, so so <laughs> letters. And I already had my interest in graffiti, so it was very, very close to what I liked. And uh, I, I discovered that there was a course really dedicated to typography at the London College of Printing today called London College of Communication. So it was the printer's college and I learned typography like printers would. I would do um, letterpress, so, you know, the let type, like the old way of, of printing type and making layouts uh, with lead uh, type and yeah. wood type and all kinds of printing techniques, screen printing. So that was two years and then I went from there to, I did the last year bachelor for graphic and media design so 
Yeah. You've already mentioned that you had this interest in graffiti. So where did that emerge? When did that emerge? And it, I mean, it stuck with you through your whole life, your artistic life. Why the passion there? I've always been interested in type. And uh, my, my first inspiration or my, my first interest was album covers and, and especially heavy metal album covers or hard rock album covers so there was Motorhead and Metallica and Iron Maiden with all kinds and they all had these um, these crazy type that was my my first inspiration so I was kind of copying these logos and trying to do my own and that led me into to drawing type and then I was doing flyers for for concerts and uh, and the invitations for for parties so i always got invited to parties which was nice <laughs> was that the payment for the for the invitation yeah, yeah. <laughs> i never really made any money from, from this so i saw graffiti already when i was in primary school scattered around it didn't trigger my my interest in in graffiti yet and it, it just well it, it it really got triggered when i was on a field trip to Munich with school and I was sitting on the train it was a long train ride and I was looking out the window and I saw the graffiti on the on the train tracks all the way from Luxembourg to Munich and we had a, an afternoon off while others went to shop or go to the Hofbräuhaus and, and so on with two friends we took our cameras we went on the train tracks and took uh, pictures and that was kind of Yeah, the big discovery of graffiti, really. Moving from graffiti, you also talk about post-graffiti. What is that? If I say post-graffiti, it's everything that kind of evolved from, from graffiti. In your life or in general in the artistic world? Well, at, at some point, I tried to differentiate myself from other graffiti, from the traditional graffiti. And I found that uh, others were doing the same thing. So it's... It was around the 2000s. I was doing uh, hand-drawn stickers and posters that I would uh, put up in the street and I would find other people doing the same thing. But I wasn't influenced by, by anyone doing it. But I found that others had the same idea and then we kind of met up. And this was before before we were talking about street art. Mm -hmm, uh, it was mm -hmm. the, the, the evolution of, of graffiti. Mm -hmm. Have you been to the South Bank in London, where you have the whole skateboarding area full of graffiti? Yeah, absolutely. That was, uh, it was always covered in graffiti. Yeah, it's a very beautiful backdrop for photos. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's think about the work that you do. You have some leitmotif characters, you're wearing one today in fact. <laughs> Many of our listeners might know your yellow, crazy bald head leitmotif that we see in a lot of your work. But you had a pig before that as your main graffiti character. So how do you come up with these personalities and what part of you comes through in their expressions that you give them? So I did a lot of different characters. I was inspired by, by the American graffiti because it's, you know, the first thing I discovered when I was researching or the first book I had was uh, the Subway Art book. And there was these characters in them, these B-boy characters, and I got inspired by that. Soon I, I found out that this wasn't, it wasn't me. And then I, I tried, tried different things and I came up with this pig. Where did the idea come from? It was it was a word game in German or Luxembourgish or French. In French you say cochonnerie, you say schwingerei or schwanerei in, in German or Luxembourgish. 
and it's um, when you mess something up when you when, when you make it dirty and um, we say pigsty in English. Sorry, a pigsty. A pigsty. It's a pigsty. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yes, I had this. Uh, I created the the pig because uh, because of the pigsty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the pigsty being the art or life or what? <laughs> it it just gave me a theme uh, to to add to to my pieces. So I would write my name. So it's these four letters sumo that, uh, which were a nickname I got uh, when I was 13. Well, and, we we uh, need to kind of ask you why, but we'll, we'll finish with the pig and then we'll come back to sumo. <laughs> so I would always add a character next to my name. And at some point I thought, well, the pigs is, are too nice or, or too cute. I need something a little more aggressive because as a graffiti writer, you are anonymous. You are building up an image you are like dr jekyll and mr hyde so you are dr dr jekyll in the in the real life and mr hyde as a graffiti writer that nobody knows and no one recognizes and all you can see is the style and the image that you create for yourself so the pig was too cute i didn't want other graffiti writers to paint over my pieces or to think that i'm this nice guy and they can just uh, paint over my stuff have you had people paint over your work? It always happens. But when I created the Crazy Bald Head, it was a little more aggressive and it had a lot of teeth and a pointy nose and I made him, you know, look look bad, you know? Menacing. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, menacing. So it gave a signal to, to everyone else out there. If you if you paint over me, you know, this is I'm painting me. I'm this is this is what I'm like. Go and paint over the guy who who paints flowers because uh, he's not going to be trouble if he catches you. <laughs> and so, uh, so it, it it was kind of a self defense mode, <laughs> painting the character next to my painting, and actually no one, or very rarely people painted in in my my paintings. So. Yeah, well, they're very beautiful. So that, uh, <laughs> so that helped, and I found that uh, people then actually remembered my character more than my name so at some point i started to to concentrate more on my character and that's when i started to to try out different mediums and paint and drawing paper and you know sticker paper uh, and, and to put it in the street yeah well coming to your name your actual name christian name the name you were born with is christian pearson you say at the age of 13 you became sumo or that was a nickname given to you so why why the change to this name so it was the first year of high school and we were two christians in class one of my classmates called me sumo to to annoy me or to bully me and um and as he said the name i thought well that sounds good i liked the the, the sound of it and I could identify with with that name and I thought, yeah, well, call me Sumo. And from that moment on, I was called Sumo. And so who do you identify with now, Sumo Christian? What do people call you? So my friends call me Sumo. No one really knew my, my real name until Facebook made me change my name on, on Facebook because they, they blocked my account until I, uh, I put my, my real name in. Why did they do that? I don't know. At some point, they um, they wanted you to put your real name in, and I thought, well, I've, I have nothing to hide anymore, so I'm just going to put my real name. So I have Christian Sumo Pearson, and uh, that satisfied Facebook. That satisfied Facebook, and 
people didn't have to ask me about my real name anymore. <laughs> it was out there. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and all of your friends here in Luxembourg, it being not London, a smaller place, probably knew who you were anyway. So let's talk about your art and you've done so much work. You've had all sorts of exhibitions. You've clearly painted airplanes and Porsches I saw as well. What's been your favourite work? Well, definitely the plane is absolute highlight. I think this is a, a once in a lifetime project. I don't know that many artists that had the opportunity to to have their, their art on a plane <laughs> that travels around the world, you know. It's, Some people got the chance to just, you know, paint the tail end of British Airways, but it was just the end, not, yeah. not the entire plane. <laughs> it was two planes as well. Yeah. Just the opportunity alone was uh, was amazing, but it was also the the collaboration with the team of Luxe it was it was like working on a you know getting a startup company going and building it from scratch it was a whole team really wanting to you know that had the drive and why did they ask you to do it they asked me to meet with them uh, so Gilles Feit, the, the CEO from Luxe asked me to meet him just before the first lockdown ended and he said, well, the, the, the lockdown is going to end. People are going to be free again and they can leave their home and uh, they can travel again. So we need to communicate with them and tell them that they can go out and have fun again. And they don't have to be scared anymore. They could identify with the messages I, I put in my paintings, which was kind of the, the message they would like to put out there, you know, a, a positive message and... Um, putting people in a good mood and in the mood of traveling. Yeah, because it really makes people smile when they see that airplane. You know, they do. I think they do smile as they walk on, which is precisely what the CEO wanted, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, people didn't expect this to happen, to expect a plane that has anything else but white. But it was also, Luxe didn't have the budget for a big campaign or anything. So they wanted to create something that would go viral, that people would be talking about just to get the name out there and to get the message out there without having to advertise because they didn't do any advertising during that time. Also, when, when the plane launched, it just got shown on social media and it gave this this positive image of the, the company. And also, you know, it would signal, okay, life goes on, you know, there's stuff happening. The company is not going downhill. We're looking ahead and the future is bright, uh, giving this, this positive message out there. Well, it was a very clever idea of Luxair to do that and to have that viral campaign going. And you said also it was lovely to work with the team because I'm quite sure as an artist, a lot of your work is lonely. It's you. Yes. <laughs> yes, you, 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 you are um, in the studio a lot by yourself, long hours and... Um, and here it was really nice because uh, everyone was uh, in the lockdown and and the situation wasn't very clear for for people are people going to lose their jobs what is going to happen so they were very happy to work on a project like this and also i think it's uh, no one expected a company like luxa to actually be as bold as this and go from a very let's say conservative in the a box. very strict corporate identity to allow something like this to happen because it, it never happened before. So it was quite an exciting project, not just for me, but also for the team. And we were working closely as a team 
And there was messages, emails and WhatsApp messages uh, flying back and forth till one o'clock in the morning <laughs> every day. And, you know, everyone was really excited to work on it. So that made it really fun as well. Yeah. It's not just an ego thing, but it was also the team working with the, the whole marketing team. It was really fun. It must and be a highlight of their career as well. It was really amazing. It, it really marked uh, a point in in my career, my CV, uh, that I can never forget this this yeah. this whole period. It's yeah. not just an, uh, the nice moment of, you know, seeing the plane, but it's it's the the, the build up and the the energy uh, that I shared with the people. It was, it was truly amazing. So we've talked a little bit about the the mindset that an artist has to have, which is not only are you a creator, but you also often work alone. How do you deal with that? And what is an artist's mindset? I think artists in general, you know, they like to paint. That's what they do or create, if it's sculpture or film or anything. But they don't necessarily know how to market their work or they don't necessarily know how accounting or VAT uh, works. Or the life of an entrepreneur. <laughs> life of an entrepreneur. So if you want to be independent, you have to have a, a different mindset and, a, you know, a different approach. Some people, they rely on galleries and, and so on. But galleries take a, a large percentage of what you put there. I've heard like 50%, 40%. Yes. So, uh, so for me, you have to think like an entrepreneur, the, the, for, uh, for sure. If you want to be independent, you have to keep learning because uh, usually you go to school, you go to college and you learn. And then once you finish, you have your diploma, you stop. Actually, I found that um, what you learn in school is the basics. And after school, uh, what you learn is all the stuff that you would like to learn and that will get you further that y you're interested in. It's a shame that can't be harnessed more at school, but such is the way of education at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about this for an hour. I had to learn so many different things that have nothing to do with me painting. I, well, I was working as a graphic designer, so, um, so I learned a, a bit about uh, marketing while I was uh, working in advertising. But uh, I didn't know anything about accounting. I didn't know anything ab about uh, how uh, VAT works or how money works, uh, how to sell. I was absolutely terrible at selling because that's not something you learn. But I found that uh, you know, any technique is you're able to learn it. If you don't have a mentor, if you don't have uh, anyone to show you, we're now living in a time where all the information is on the internet. Either it's free or you can even find paid courses or online courses. Did you do any of these? And I've done quite a few. Which topics? Sales, definitely. <laughs> Which course do you recommend? Because that's very interesting. Because I imagine lots of artists are not extrovert personalities. By dent of what they do, they like to be alone and they have to spend a lot of time alone. But marketing is a completely other field. Like you say, it's putting yourself out there. You're exposed. And sometimes the art can hide you. So <laughs> what were your revelations in sales courses and which ones helped you? So it's actually quite a funny story. <laughs> good, good. I like funny stories. Um, uh, 
Do you, have you ever seen the movie The Wolf of Wall Street? Oh, yes. So, <laughs> you know, You're saw, telling me you turned into that. <laughs> I don't think so. No, no, no. Well, I saw the movie and I thought it was when Leonardo DiCaprio is playing John Belfort, which is actually a real person. Indeed. Uh, and it was based on the true story. So the, Frighteningly, that's what, yes. That's what, <laughs> what, what really blew my mind is that it was a real person. There was this scene where Leonardo DiCaprio is selling penny stocks on the phone to a complete stranger. And I thought, wow, if I could sell like this guy, how do you do that? And it was a, a real story. So after the movie, I researched him and I found a bunch of... Uh, But he was a criminal. <laughs> He was well, doing something illegal, but I suppose you yes. liked you liked the style in which he was selling. Yes, he, he misused this this technique he had, and he he actually went to prison for it. And then wrote the book. He wrote the book, and now teaches this um, this technique of selling. But you can use it ethically. You can also use it to con people, uh, which he not, does not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, has this sort of story to to explain why it's not uh, a good thing, and that you should use it responsibly, like anything, like any technique or any any power you have. If if this is a, a power <laughs> that yeah. you acquire, then You should use it responsibly. For, for me, selling was always um, uncomfortable and I like what I do, but I don't necessarily want to, you know, I don't like salespeople trying to shove things down my throat, you know, make me want to buy things that I don't want. Long story short, I, I found a lot of, um, a bunch of videos on YouTube about John Belfort, who is talking about uh, the, the sales and I thought it was super interesting. And one of them, had a sales pitch in the end <laughs> and he was doing exactly this him what leonardo dicaprio was doing in the movie <laughs> in that scene but directed to me recorded on video and i thought oh no you're selling to me and but it was it was interesting <laughs> and what do you mean was, directed to you actually i mean it, it, everything he said made sense to me i thought okay I have to do this course because it, it just totally makes sense. Whatever he said, I could relate to and, and so on. And then he said the price, which was, I think it was $2,000. That was a lot of money for me. So I thought, no, <laughs> I'm not going to spend that. And for me, in that at that moment, um, I never bought anything on, online. Or, you know, I didn't like to spend money uh, online. Is it going to be a scam or, and especially not $2,000. And I watched it probably five times in a, that week. And then I thought, well, I don't know how to sell and I need to sell. And I don't know who can teach me and I don't know where else to find somewhere where I can learn it. You know, what is the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is that I buy this course and it's rubbish and I don't learn anything and I just lost uh, two grand. But what if I learn just a little bit I might sell one piece more than usual, then I make my money back. If I if the course is rubbish, it's like like me giving away one of my art pieces. So I did buy the course and I applied it probably because it was so expensive. I actually <laughs> did, did what it said. religiously and uh, applied it to every, everyday life and my sales. It, it, it just <laughs> I started selling like re really well, which is crazy to me because I am an introvert and I don't like selling people stuff they don't don't want 
And with this course, I found that I'm not forcing anyone to buy anything. A lot of it is asking the right questions and giving people what they actually want. And that, that's the best selling. It's how would I like to be sold to? You know, you, you want to be sold to something that you actually want, that you will actually love and you're happy to have uh, at the end of the day. And if someone wants to buy a painting and I don't have what they are actually looking for, I will tell them that I might not have this, but I'll, I'll I can get back to you once I, I do have. And my, my clients are happy and <clears throat> I'm happy because I did the right thing and I'm making a sale. I'm making people happy by selling them what they what they like to. Well, it sounds like it was an incredibly good investment. And it was a, an, an amazing investment. And then I found a lot of inspiration also in books. And because I don't have a lot of time to read, I listen to a lot of audiobooks while I paint. I like to listen to a lot of music because it inspires me in my painting. But I spend a lot of time on my own in the studio, long hours, And I like to keep learning while I'm working. And there is two books that completely changed my life as well. One book is called Think and Grow Rich from uh, Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Which is an old book. It's Napoleon Hill who interviewed the big entrepreneurs of the time, which uh, Rockefellers and, and, and so on, and boiled it down to a few principles that were actually always, you know, that you could apply on everyone's story and you know it will get you more successful not only for for money but successful in in every in every way and then the the second book is rich dad poor dad from robert kiyosaki it, it changes your relation to uh, your thinking about money We've spent a lot of time thinking about how to sell the art do you feel you've had to spend more time actually actively working on the marketing side and the creative side just comes to you more naturally or how do you feed the creative side as well the, the creative side has, has always come natural to me so but yeah a lot of people ask me how do you always keep uh, creative and how do you come up with ideas and so on i do have a concept that that i apply to to everything i do since 2012-13 the theme It's a common theme in my work and it's time and space. Now, you don't necessarily see it because the visual language is very uh, graffiti-like and very urban. I use spray cans and, and, and some markers and I let paint drip and I use uh, letters like I do in graffiti and, and so on. But it's not about graffiti. My work is not about graffiti. It's, but it's the visual language is there and it, that's just the way I like to express myself. I have this concept and I, I build everything around that. So what I do is I document time on my canvases. I get inspired by the moment. So if it's music, I'm going to maybe add lyrics or maybe make a, you know, I'll, I'll get into the, the mood and maybe use a, a certain type of colors. And maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do, a, I'll make a reference uh, either in, in text or you know, with a character or, or both or make a word game. I always like to add a, a, a bit of a twist to things or add some humor. Let's say if, if I listen to music, Uh, you know, I, I use a lot of popular culture, things that, uh, you know, everyone knows and and then I kind of play with it. So if I say um, simply the pest, 
Yeah. You know, you will still think of uh, Tina, Turner. Tina Turner simply the best, but I'll I'll just call it uh, say simply the pest and 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 add a uh, a character to it that illustrates this simply the pest. Or if you if you know Guns N' Roses um, and it's uh, the album Appetite for Destruction, and I change it to Appetite for Distraction, <laughs> you know, you still make the reference, but I can. But I can use it uh, in a different way. And so I, I, I play with words also. I have um, a bunch of those images and, and word games and things that uh, inspire me in the moment. And then I layer them over time. And as time goes by, I create these um, layers of time. So you can measure time in the depth of the painting. And what you see in the back is in uh, in the past, and what you see in the front is more towards the uh, the present. And it's like freezing the moment. Uh, so when I like the the composition of the painting, I'll stop, and it's like pressing pause on a on a video, and then you just freeze the the image. But I could, you know, actually keep adding as time goes by, and then just add add some more layers to it. And it's a uh, in this process of creating and destroying, you know, create, destroy, create, destroy. Because you're literally painting over what you've painted. And behind. I'm painting over, and I don't, and I have no plan uh, before I start. So maybe I'll have a little sketch, or, or I'll have some ideas sketched, um, but you know, just you know, separate ideas, and then I'll just add them. And even if I do have a sketch, it would never turns out the way I planned it. And then, uh, as time goes by, I just keep adding anyway. Mm -hmm. So that's that's uh, time. And then space, you have uh, my paintings are always um, uh, like details of an infinitely large picture. So the painting doesn't stop on the on the edges. It just, you know keeps it can keep going. This is just a, a detail of of an image. So if if you would zoom into the painting you can just take a, a part of it and you know blow it up again and you would have a new composition it could be a, a, a separate canvas again and by zooming in you will you will see more details that you don't see from the distance so it's like looking through a microscope and a microscope that you know zoom in forever you can zoom in but you can also zoom out so if you zoom out you'll see more of the big picture and all the details you see right now, the more you zoom out, the less you'll see, and they will always end up melting into a, a dot, which is going to be in a dot pattern called halftone pattern in, in, in graphic design, which will make up a new image, which will be part of a, a, another image, which will be eventually part of another dot from it. And it's, it's this idea of infinity, because time and space are infinite or seem infinite, and it's this infinity that I'm trying to to have in my um, that is the concept of my work. So the ideas can be endless. Whatever happens in the moment is always going to be new. So I have always things to work with. I have my elements that are always the same that I always use, like my my crazy bald head character. I have different types. I have one with a beard. I have the one sitting in the cloud. I have different types of glasses, which is also another story that can go on about why they're wearing glasses. Why are they wearing glasses? <laughs> <laughs>
So if, if you look at the character, they're always, they're always pretty much the same. But what differentiates them is the glasses. It's like people. They all kind of look the same. What differentiates them is their point of view. So we are both sitting in the studio, uh, sharing the same moment. We're in the same space, but just from the, the perspective, because we are sitting opposite each other, you will see something different than I do. You will experience the moment differently than I do. Uh, you will feel things differently. And so the glasses represent this. They represent what you see. I add type into the, the glasses or I add uh, different colors and sometimes rainbows and things reflecting in the glasses of the character. And that is the reflection of what the character sees, which then eventually makes every character different because they will all have a different view. That's a really lovely description, actually. I really enjoyed that. Changing uh, topics slightly, but still linked. You're very interested in NFTs, non-fungible tokens and blockchains. This is really kind of out of the box, but, but very connected. So I would say you're definitely on the early adopter curve, <laughs> which means that most people are not. So for those of our audience who don't know what non-fungible tokens are or how they relate to the art world, tell us a bit more. So NFTs stand for non-fungible tokens. Something that's fungible is something that is the same. So let's say uh, we both have a euro and we can, we can change. You can have my euro, I'll take yours and it'll still be the same. That would be fungible. But, and so non-fungible means that it's, it's not the same, which means that it's, it's unique. So it could be something that looks the same. But it's it's not because it uh, you know could be a something with a serial number like a like a concert ticket could be an NFT you know your your ticket is different to mine so it makes it unique uh, it can be uh, any collectible but uh, you know it can also be art art uh, that is going to be well it can be unique because it's it's numbered it's in a series and it's numbered or maybe it is completely unique it's an addition of one for example and then a token is something that you can trade so a non-fungible token is digital property really so it, for me it is really interesting because art can be non-fungible tokens so are you are you digitizing your art collection then so this goes back to what i just told you about my concept uh, because it's very very linked when i I discovered NFTs at the beginning of last year in 2021. And it, it was my partner. She, she told me um, about NFTs. And I thought, well, hang on. This is just everything I was just, I was hoping, I was hoping about. And, uh, you know, I started going on, on, on YouTube trying to find uh, the videos. Uh, videos <laughs> and just, you know, uh, what is this? And, once I, I went down that rabbit hole, it, it just completely blew my mind and makes so much sense to me and to to where my work is going and to the and about the vision that I have for my work. Before I get into that, I'm, maybe I'll, I'll tell you what my vision is. For me, what I'm working towards is well, my initial idea was a video installation that will explain my work. And I will link all of the pieces I've been painting, or, or most of my paintings that I've been paint, painting since 2012-13, that 
will link all the pieces in the depth. So it would be zooming in to one of my paintings and then traveling through that painting into the next painting. So they, my paintings are linked in depth, not on the surface. Once you zoom into one, you will, you know, you will see new details and, and those details are actually a different canvas. And so you can just travel through all of my paintings and whoever bought one of my paintings up until that, that point actually just owns a piece of the puzzle. And my work is, it's just one piece of work. And that is, is going to be self-explanatory because I don't like going to a museum or to an exhibition and having to read a whole text to actually understand the piece. I want people to see it, experience it and, and understand what, uh, what I'm trying to, you know, that they will feel the space, time and space and all of this. But that's very Just interesting sort of what you're saying, because we often hear about people, you know, who, for example, win Nobel Prizes or artists or actors who win Lifetime Achievement Awards. They're given the award for a body of work. And effectively, you're talking about putting into this installation your body of work. And what's very unusual is for people to be able to experience that body of work at once. Yes, so <laughs> that is my that is my vision and my goal for 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 this body of work. What's your so, time scale? When when are you working on well, this? <laughs> I I I never set a, a time scale because I I'm still looking for someone that could actually put it together. I mean, all the different pieces exist. Now it's, you know, putting it together and having, and then making it work and, and just start putting it together. I don't know how to to use the software good enough to to actually do this. And it would actually take away, I don't want to say it would waste my time, but I think this is something that I could delegate to someone else to do and keep producing things that only I can do. So I am actively looking for someone who can put this together. So there we go to our listeners, a call to action for any brilliant videographers, <laughs> any brilliant editors and filmographers out there. So that was my initial vision for my work. Now, discovering NFTs just completely opens up so many possibilities now because I have a I have a background in graphic design I studied graphic design because I've always been told you cannot live off art so you're better off learning something that uh, learning a proper job and then earning money you're yeah. not the first artist who's been told that <laughs> but if I can quote Steve Jobs in a, a famous um, talk he, he, he gave he said, Stanford you can only, students. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can only connect the dots looking backwards. Everything that I've, I've done so far actually builds whatever I'm doing today has to do with all of these different things that the jobs I did, the, the projects I, I made, um, and, and some are seemed completely unrelated. And now con you know, I can connect these dots. Now, even looking forward i can now even imagine looking back in the future looking back and connecting even more dots to to getting there for me it's a, a big discovery at the moment i'm really trying to 
wrap my head around uh, this whole digital space and build and add to this body of work. And now I can make moving images. I can build the same pieces that I would build up in paintings. I can, I can do it digitally and maybe even simulate that traveling even better in, in a different way. And what is really nice about NFTs is you can even add so many more things to the artwork. So it's not just the artwork, but it's also it can be a contract. It can be proof. It can be so many use cases for an NFT that I'm not going to get <laughs> into right now. I think because that's another an, another show. Um, yeah, we'll have you back. <laughs> <laughs> but I think if you if if you go and research NFTs in the use of NFTs, it's just amazing what you can do with uh, NFTs. For me, it's about building up new expanding my universe because now people will be able to actually buy something that would essentially be a, a video installation but now people can just store it on their phone or in their digital wallet and then maybe project it onto a wall have it on their screen add it to to their room or office in the metaverse <laughs> once that is developing further it is already in place so And it's just now, with all this technology, it makes so much more sense to have NFTs and to, to buy digital uh, pieces, collect them, you know. Have you started collecting them? N not arts as NFTs, but I have, uh, I have started buying domains <laughs> as NFTs. But yeah, I, I haven't really found artwork that I, I like yet. But I will, I will eventually buy uh, some NFTs. You know, this whole NFT space is probably the most exciting thing that I discovered since I discovered graffiti in the 90s. Wow, gosh, you're going to be an absolute... Uh, you're going to become a spokesperson, I think, for Luxembourg on NFTs in the art world. I don't know, but it's. Yeah, I'm not a very good spokesperson. But uh, yet, uh, you haven't found the YouTube videos. <laughs> it's. Um, but I, I totally believe in this space. I know there's still, you know, it's still very early, and there's probably still a lot of issues, and but they are going to be resolved. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, it's well, it's, I'm just quoting other people as well. Um, it's like the beginning of internet in in the 90s. How bad was it in the beginning? It, it was, you know, you had these rubbish modems and you had the ISDN. Uh, <laughs> well, you and I can remember life before the, the internet, yeah. <laughs> before mobile phones. So, yeah, our lives have changed hugely. You pay for every, every minute of internet and you couldn't phone at the same time. Oh, yes. And that was, uh, that was 25 years ago. So that's not too long ago. No, let's let's put it that way. <laughs> no, it's not. In the scale of history, that's absolutely short as anything. Sumo, it's been a delight to have you here on this Saturday morning. <laughs> really a delight. Uh, or should I call you Christian? I'm not quite sure. No, my friends call me Sumo. Oh, that's very kind. <laughs> 
Wonderful to have you here with our friends at RTL today, our wonderful audience as well. Wishing you all a wonderful Easter weekend. And if you want to learn more about Sumo's work, I'll put a link to all of his websites. Um, I know he's become brilliant at selling himself, but uh, let me do a little bit of a job for him now. <laughs> he's got fabulous work and all sorts of art available to look at on Instagram, Facebook, of course, his gallery, one-to-one. Uh, sumo.lu is the website. Online shop is sumoartwork.com. So we'll have a lot of people... Uh, looking for your art. A really great pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.